Alright everybody, welcome back. In this episode we're going to take 1 Chronicles chapter 24, the sections of the priesthood. We're going to talk about the 24 divisions of the priesthood. So 1 Chronicles chapter 24 verses 1 through 6, we'll just jump straight in. The sons of Aaron and what became of them. Now these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. The sons of Aaron were Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And Nadab and Abihu died before their father and had no children. Therefore, Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests. Then David with Zadok of the sons of Eleazar and Ahimelech of the sons of Ithamar divided them according to the schedule of their service. And there were more leaders found of the sons of Eleazar than of the sons of Ithamar, and thus they were divided. Among the sons of Eleazar were sixteen heads of their father's houses, and eight heads of their father's houses among the sons of Ithamar. Thus they were divided by lot, one group as another. For there were officials of the sanctuary and officials of the house of God, from the sons of Eleazar and from the sons of Ithamar. And the scribe, um, Shemaiah, the sons of Nathanael, one of the Levites, wrote them down before the king, the leaders, Zadok the priest, Ahimelech the son of Abiathar, and the heads of the father's houses of the priests and Levites, one father's house taken for Eliezer, and one for Ithamar. So God judged, right, Nadab and Abihu died before their father. You're going to remember this back from Leviticus chapter 10. Uh, Nadab and Abihu were judged because they dared to bring strange fire before the Lord, which means they were blaspheming God's commandments for sacrifice. Leviticus chapter 10 verses 1 and 2. So so they divided them according to the schedule of their service, and David took the descendants of Aaron, the priestly family of Israel, and together with Zadok he divided them into 24 sections to serve according to the schedule of their service. So two aspects of this service are emphasized, that it was to be regulated in an orderly system of 24 courses, right, verses 1 through 19, and that it provided a pattern to be followed by the priest's Levitical assistance, verses 20 through 31. All right, let's take verses 7 through 19. The priesthood is divided by lot into 24 sections. All right, now the first lot fell to Jerib, the second to Jediah, the third to Harem, the fourth to Siram, the fifth to Malkijah, the sixth to Majamin, the seventh to Hakaz, the eighth to Abijah, the ninth to Jeshua, the tenth to Shekaniah, the eleventh to Eliashib, the twelfth to Kem, the thirteenth to Huppa, the fourteenth to Jeshabib, the fifteenth to Bilga, the sixteenth to Emer, the seventeenth to Hezer, the eighteenth to Hapizez, the nineteenth to Pethahiah, the twentieth to Jehazikil, the twenty-first to Jachin, the twenty-second to Gamul, the twenty-third to Deliah, and the twenty-fourth to Messiah. This was the schedule of their service for coming into the house of the Lord according to their ordinance by the hand of Aaron, their father, as the Lord of God of Israel had commanded them. So, David knew that because there were so many descendants of Aaron by this time, the priests should be divided so they could be fairly assigned the privileged service of the temple. In later Jewish practice, the number of 24 courses was based on a lunar calendar of 48 weeks, with each course serving for a week at a time and thus twice a year. With the passage of time, some of the Davidic courses died out or had to be consolidated with others, and new ones were formed to take their places. At the first return from exile in 527 B.C., only four courses were registered. By 520, uh, 22 were again operative. Nehemiah chapter 12 verses 1 through 7. But only half of them were the courses as originally organized by David. Right? So this appears to be the only 24 in scripture along with the singers in chapter 25. They appear 
to be set, uh, they appear to set the order that appears with the kings and priests in Revelation chapter 4 and 5. Right? Let's look at Revelation chapter 4, verse 4. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So, 24 elders here. Let's look at this. David's 24 courses covered in 1 Chronicles 24 verses 1 through 19. Each course relieved each Sabbath, right? You had the non-Levitical priesthood orders as well, right? Jethro in Exodus chapter 3 verse 1, Jacob's tithes in Genesis 28 verse 22, and Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14 verses 18 through 20. You'll remember that Melchizedek was both a priest and a king, right? And then you have the Messiah Messianic, uh, covered in Psalm 110, verse 4, and Hebrews chapter 5, 6, and 7, right? So the tribulation saints. Let's look at Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. All right, let's look at angels real quick. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 11, And all the angels stood about the throne, and about the elders, and the four beasts, and fell before the throne on their faces, and worshipped God. Right? Angels are not numbered, crowned, or enthroned. These elders are distinguished from the angels, right? You'll compare chapter 5, verses 8 through 11, and chapter 7, verse 11, right? So the 24 elders, they represent a completed group in First Chronicles chapter 24. They cannot be tribulation believers in Revelation chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. They cannot be angels, Revelation chapter 7, verse 11. We find those there. And they cannot be the nation of Israel, Revelation chapter 7, and and 12 cover that. The distinguishing characteristics here, they have thrones in Revelation chapter 3 verse 21. They have white raiment in Revelation chapter 3 verse 25. They have crowns of gold in Revelation chapter 2 verse 10 and chapter 3 verse 11. They sing the song of the redeemed in Revelation chapter 5 verses 9 and 10. And they are called elders, both kings and priests, Revelation chapter 5 verse 10. So elders or presbyteros in the New Testament are highest officials in the church, representative of the whole church. You can find this in Titus chapter 1 verse 5, Acts chapter 15 verse 6, Acts chapter 20 verse 28, 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 5 and 9, Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 and 14, and you'll note no 24 elders in Ephesians chapter 3 verses 3 and through 7. So Revelation chapter 5 verses 7 through 10, let's look at this real quick. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne, and when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth right Revelation chapter 5 verses 7 through 10 the new song is very common in the Psalms in Psalm 33 verse 3 Psalm 40 verse 3 Psalm 98 verse 1 96 verse 1 144 verse 9 and 149 verse 1 however this is closer to Isaiah in uh, chapter 42 verses 9 and 10 and you'll note us Right in the 24 manuscripts, including the Codex Sinaiticus um, in the Vatican, the Latin Coptic, the Memphatic, 
right, versus them is only in one, right, the Codex Alexandrius. Some churches tend to delete by thy blood from their hymnals and sermons. Perhaps that's why the Lord isn't going to embarrass them by taking them into heaven because they would have to sing about the blood up there, right? Revelation chapter 1, verse 6 settles the identity issue, right? Let's look at that. Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Right? Kings and priests as the title. All right, verses 20 through 30, a list of the remaining sons of Levi. And the rest of the sons of Levi, of the sons of Amram, Shubal, of the sons of Shubal, Jahadiah, concerning Rehabiah, of the sons of Rehabiah, was the first with Ishiah, of the Isherites, Shelemoth, of the sons of Shelemoth, Jehath, of the sons of Hebron, Jeriah was the first, Amariah was the second, Jehaziel was the third, and Jechamim was the fourth. Of the sons of Azil, uh, Micah, of the sons of Micah, Shamir, the brother of Micah, Ishiah, of the sons of Ishiah, Zechariah. The sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi, the son of Jaziah, Bino. The sons of Merari by Jaziah were Bino, Shokam, Zachar, and Ibri. And of Mali, Eliezer, who had no sons, of Kish, the son of Kish, Jeremiel. And of the sons of Mushi were Mali, Eder, and Jeremoth. And these were the sons of the Levites, according to their father's houses. All right, so these were the descendants of Kohath's son Amram, who were not of the family of Moses and Aaron. You'll note Exodus chapter 6, verses 18 through 27, right? We'll just take verse 31, how their lots were chosen. And these also cast lots, just as their brothers, the sons of Aaron, did in the presence of King David, Zadok, Ahimelech, and the heads of the fathers' houses of the priests of the Levites. The chief's fathers did just as their younger brethren. So these other descendants of the family of Kohath were divided according to the schedule of their service, along the same pattern as the priests. And the lots of the elder and younger brethren were promiscuously... Uh, put together, and the order was settled as lots came forth, without any regard for age, dignity, or the number of persons or families, the youngest family having the first course if they had the first lot. And there was a tactful mingling in the arrangement of the older and the younger men, so that in this highest and holiest national service, the experience of age and enthusiasm of youth were naturally inspiring. So, the birth of Christ... The most serious Bible students realize that Jesus was probably not born on December 25th, right? The shepherds had their flocks in an open field in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, which implies a date prior to October. Furthermore, no competent Roman administrator would require registration involving travel during the season when Judea was impassable in Matthew chapter 24, verse 20. The first recorded mention of December 25th is in the calendar of... Um, Philocalus in 354 AD, which assumed Jesus' birth to be on a Friday, December 25th, 1 AD. Uh, December 25th was officially proclaimed by the Church Fathers in 440 AD. This date, however, was the vestige of the Roman holiday of um, Saturnalia. So the year of Christ's birth. The year of Jesus' birth is broadly accepted as about 4 BC, primarily from the erroneous conclusions derived from Josephus' recording of an eclipse assumed to be on March 13th. 4 BC, shortly before Herod died. And there are several problems with this, in addition to the fact that it is more likely the eclipse occurred on December 29th, 1 BC. Considerable time elapsed between Jesus' birth and Herod's death. And since the family fled to Egypt to escape Herod's edict, they didn't return until after Herod's death, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, and chap uh, verse 19 through 22. Furthermore, Herod died on January 14, 1 BC, right? 
Um, Tertullian, born at well, about 160 A.D., stated that Augustus began to rule 41 years before the birth of Jesus and died 15 years after that event. Augustus died on August 19, 14 A.D., placing Jesus' birth at about 2 B.C., right? Note there's no year zero. Uh, Tertullian also notes that Jesus was born 28 years after the death of Cleopatra in 30 B.C., which is consistent with the date of 2 B.C. So, Iranius, born about a century after Jesus, also notes that the Lord was born in the 31st, 31st um, year of the reign of Augustus, since Augustus began his reign in the autumn of 43 B.C. This also appears to be substantiate the birth in uh, about 2 B.C. as well. Eusebius, from 264 to 340 A.D., the father of church history, ascribes it to the 42nd year of the reign of Augustus and the 28th from the subjection of Egypt on the death of Anthony and Cleopatra. The 42nd year of Augustus ran from the autumn of 2nd B.C. to the autumn of 1 B.C. The subjugation of Egypt into the Roman Empire occurred in the autumn of 30 BC. The 28th year extended from the autumn of 3 BC to the autumn of 2 BC. The only date that would meet both of these constraints would be the autumn of 2 BC. So let's speak about John the Baptist. All right. So John the Baptist. Elizabeth, John's mother, was a cousin of Mary and the wife of a priest named Zacharias, who was of the course of Abijah. In Luke chapter 1, verse 5, verse 8 through 13, and verse 23 through 24. When the temple was destroyed by Titus in August 5, 70 AD, the first course of priests had just taken office, Talmud and Josephus, right? It's covered. And since the course of Abijah was the eighth course, Zacharias ended his duties on July 13th, 3 BC, 1 Chronicles 20. 4 verse 10. If John's birthplace took 280 days later, it would have been on April 19th or 20th, 2 BC, precisely on the feast of Passover. John began his ministry in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar in Luke chapter 3 verse 1. The minimum age for the ministry was 30, Numbers chapter 4 verse 3, as Augustus died on August 19th, 14 AD, and that was the accession year for Tiberius. So, if John was born on April 19th or 20th, 2 B.C., his 30th birthday would have been April 19th, 20th, 29 A.D., or the 15th year of Tiberius. This seems to confirm the 2 B.C. date, and since John was five months older than Christ, this also confirms the autumn birth date for Jesus. So, the birth date of Christ. Elizabeth hid herself for five months before the angel Gabriel visited her cousin. Mary went with haste to visit Elizabeth, who was then in the first week of her sixth month, or the fourth week of December 3rd B.C. So if Jesus were born 280 days later, it would place the date of his birth on September 29th, 2 B.C., which was also the first day of uh, Tishri, the day of the Feast of Trumpets, announcing the coming of the King. And you will note the... 24 elders, right? The tribulation saints. And when we talked about the uh, priests and kings, uh, our titles as church believers, right? We are joint heirs with Christ after the order of Melchizedek. We are both considered kings and priests, right? So that applies to us. We co-reign with him after the order of Melchizedek. So that covers chapter 24. In the next chapter, in chapter 25, we'll talk about the singers and the musicians. Thank you for joining me.